Please turn with me now to 1 Timothy chapter 3 as we continue our look through this book and through the other pastoral books that Paul wrote. 1 Timothy chapter 3. This morning we'll be looking at the qualifications of the office of deacon. Before we do that, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help with it. Our Lord Jesus, as we come again to this passage um, concerning your church, concerning how we should organize and run your church, Lord, we are concerned for our hearts in this and that we would seek to do things our own way, ways that would glorify us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would convict us of those sinful areas of our lives, that you would lead us to the truth of your scripture, that you would guide us through it and that you would bring us to it as we as we come to this world word we are eager to learn from you and lord help us and instruct us through it we are thankful for the fact that you have begun a good work in us continue it now it's in jesus name we pray amen and so as i came to this passage concerning deacons deacons are a group of Officers that serve the church and serve the outside world, and so it made me think about uh, the outside world, um, what goes on in the world, and uh, some broader issues concerning service, and it made me think of urban America. Um, Many urban areas in our country are in various states of decline. If you've been to a city, I think of some cities that we're more familiar with, like Memphis and St. Louis. I mean, you're, you're very familiar with what decline looks like in these places and the crime and everything that's associated with that. There are many theories as to why this is happening. I mean, you can read whole tomes about it. There's probably a Ph.D. associated with urban decline, I'm sure. Uh, most folks agree that it has a lot to do with the vision of classes and with poverty and everything else continuing to creep up. The government has attempted to, over the years, to alleviate the problem, almost always to disastrous effects. Uh, One of the attempts that I think about often and I've read about extensively is a project in St. Louis called the Pruitt-Igo Project. Some of you have heard of it before. Uh, It was built in the 50s, probably around the time my parents were born. And it was the idea behind Pruitt-Igo was we're going to tear down all the slums, quote-unquote slums, and we're going to build one nice housing project in the center of town where all the people that formerly lived in the slums can live together and we're going to regulate and it's going to be nice and uh, it's it's all going to work out perfectly. Um, So the government tore down all of the slums and instead they built 33 11-story buildings. It's, it's incredible. Just look up a picture of it on you know, Google. You'll see this. It's like just stands out in the middle of St. Louis. Uh, about 3,000 apartments on 57 acres. It's not a lot of space for 3,000 apartments, um, by the way. And so what do you think happened? Well, it didn't work. The problem wasn't housing, but it was something much deeper than that. Pruitt-Igo began to resemble, guess what, a slum. And within 15 years of being built, it was demolished. Many historians actually point to this event as the end of modernism and the beginning then of postmodernism. It's fascinating. I encourage you to read about it. What does this have to do with the church and deacons? Well, imagine a place 
where churches are not depending on the government to serve people in neighborhoods and cities in places called slums. But we, the church, are actually doing the service with our own hands and feet. I'm not talking about some sort of utopia here. We all know that sin is a thing and it's never going to come go away until our Lord Jesus comes back. But if the church is preaching Jesus into the slums, then life in the slums has to, by definition of the gospel, begin to take on a different tone, where the government is no longer the Savior. Jesus is. And the church becomes the medium for renewal and rest, rather than a country club that poor folks aren't invited to. And who should head these efforts up then? That's what the deacons are there for. Deacons with hearts to serve and with a calling to match that. And so in our text today, we're going to consider the qualifications, the duties of the office of deacon. We're going to consider the scriptural foundation for that office. Uh, then again, work through the list of qualifications like we did with the elder. And again, considering that it is the church's responsibility then to elect these men into office. And this is a valuable responsibility. And so it's all important for us then as members of the church and people of God's church to hear these qualifications. And so there are three men, or three uh, main ideas that I want to consider. Deacons are dignified, deacons are servants, and Christ is the ultimate deacon. And so with that, we'll read the text. It's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Let's stand together today in the honor of the reading of God's Word. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. And so, for a foundation on where do we derive the office of deacons, where is Paul coming up with this, turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Remember, Acts outlines for us the story of the church even from its beginning, as the apostles waited together and the Holy Spirit rushed down upon them. And so, literally there from day one, And here we are at the very beginnings of the church, here in Acts chapter 6, and I want to read this, the first seven verses of this passage. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So just, there's a Greek section of the new church, and there's a Hebrew section of the new church, and so... 
the Hellenists, the Greek section, has, has a complaint against the Hebrews. Their, their widows are being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve surrounded the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Another incredible story from early in our church. Again, the nature of the complaint here at the beginning is a kind of a housekeeping issue. The church would regularly get together and share goods with one another. Maybe if they were farmers and they would bring their, all of their goods together in order to distribute them among the church so that no one had need. It was a regular occurrence. And so they kind of shared together. And this one section of the church is saying, hey, we're being looked over during this daily distribution of, of food and whatnot. And so there's a problem with that, right? Maybe it's because of um, you know, uh, some sort of bias, racial, racial bias or something like that. Who knows? But it wasn't a real shepherding issue at this point. And what I mean by shepherding issue is this wasn't something that had like manifested itself to this giant problem in the church. And so the apostles see this and they say, hey, we should appoint men who are in charge of doing this work. And, and the, the apostles kind of sum it up to say serving tables. That isn't meant to be like a pejorative. We're too good to serve tables. That's not what they're saying at all. This is a particular thing that needs to be done. We need to devote ourselves to ministry and prayer. So we need to appoint men to do this task who would be good at this task. And so that's what they do. Uh, again, not lesser men. So that's important for us to understand. The apostles aren't appointing people who just couldn't make the apostle list, so now they're deacons instead. Or nothing like that. These aren't lesser men. Uh, the deacons, and I think as you look through Scripture, in particular as you read the next couple of chapters even, they were no less evangelists and no less men of God than the apostles. Read chapter 7. It's probably titled Stephen's Speech in your Bible. It is one of the most incredible sermons you can ever read, and it's written by, or it's spoken by, a deacon. And then if you read about Philip and the story of Philip and the eunuch, that is Philip the deacon. And so we're not talking about lesser men of the faith. We're talking about men who have a particular calling. Um, and then let's talk about the issue of gender. Again, we raised this with, the, with elders last week. I think it's important to talk about this. It's a, lit, a little more complex uh, than that of elders, and so I think it needs to be addressed separately. My position, me personal, uh, my position on the issue is the same as my position of elders. This is an office for men only. However, in our denomination, the Associate Reformed Presbyterian, uh, there are many who would disagree with that position. I don't say that to cause problems. Uh, that's not a problem. And our denomination's stance on the issue is that the office is open to women. 
and churches are allowed to make that decision for themselves. So the argument is fairly complex. Um, there are lots of alternate translations, not alternate, uh, different translations of the text that are going on here. And with that, they believe the New Testament seems to indicate that um, women were serving in this role and should be allowed to be in this role. I'm not convinced of these arguments personally, but they are out there. And so if there's questions about this, we can talk about it. I just I want to address this to say that this is a, this is a larger issue that the church is dealing with and our, even our own denomination is dealing with. Um, and so I just, just to throw that out there. The first point I want to look at from the text is deacons are dignified. And so we see there in 1 Timothy chapter 3, deacons likewise must be dignified. The word likewise should draw us back then to the qualifications of elder that were listed, meaning that these two offices are what? They're of high repute. They have high standards. We should not separate the two as um, being wholly separate in that they are two different, completely different types of people. These are both men of high repute. They have very high standards. And so among those qualifications, let's just look at them. We see the word dignified. This is where we get our word like heavy or serious from. It doesn't mean that all deacons should be serious, but it's a serious office. They should take serious the work that they do in that office. They shouldn't be double-toned or deceitful. They shouldn't uh, speak out of both sides of their mouth is the way that we would say it uh, today, that they shouldn't be saying one thing and doing another, this whole thing of deceitfulness. They shouldn't be a drunk, um, just like the elders. They shouldn't be given to dishonest gain, meaning they um, kind of like the idea of the lovers of money. They shouldn't be trying to gain money in a dishonest way. Um, it says that they should hold, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, meaning that they are able to handle the truths of scriptures and the doctrines of the faith, the mysteries of the faith. Now, again, we know what, what is one thing that you note from the qualifications of deacons and elders? You don't see that deacons must be able to teach. That does not mean that they shouldn't be able to handle their faith and handle it well. And so, not teachers, but no less able theologically. I think that's important to us. They're to be held to the same standard. Um, and you see that with the, um, with the next idea there. They are to be tested in this. Um, and let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. And so we want those people who serve as deacons to know their Bibles, to know what they believe. And I think it's interesting, too, that the wives of deacons are also considered in verse 11. The wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful in all things. What does this have to do with? Well, it has to do with the household, for one. And two, you don't want people serving in an office where things at home aren't happy. And so we saw this with the, elder, with the elder. You see this also with the deacon. And so what do these qualifications have to do with the whole church? And that's important for us to look at this. Is Paul just instructing deacons or would-be deacons? No. He's instructing the whole church. And so we must pay attention. Consider this, uh, consider the duty that was given 
to the first deacons. What were they to do? Well, they were literally serving tables, making sure all groups were equally taken care of. They were settling issues between the Greeks and the Jews, something that early on could have torn the church in half. They were given a big issue, and they were given that to settle and to deal with. And so who do you want doing that? Do you want men of ill repute? Do you want men that the people aren't fond of? Do you want men who are out stealing money on one end and saying nice things on the other? Do you want men who are not taking care of their household? No. You want people who are handling themselves. You want people who are handling the scripture in order to do this. We don't just put anyone in this task to serve. All right? These, we, again, just like the elders, we should consider these qualifications very carefully. And the deacons are not only important to serving the inside of the church, to serving the church, but who else is it important to? The outside. Folks will love your church because of the work the deacons are doing. Folks will love your church because of the work that the deacons are doing. If they are serving like they should be, the church will be recognized as a place where people are loved and taken care of. And that's important. You can have this great, smooth-talking, Bible-preaching pastor, but if your deacons aren't serving the church with their gifts, there will be dysfunction, and the outside world will look at your church as uncaring. You can preach all the truth in the world, but if you don't love people, it doesn't matter. You're just saying noise. And that's important for us to understand. The office has taken on lots of different forms and many denominations, and this isn't really the place to get into that. Again, if you want to talk about that, we can. But by and large, this is an office of service. Um, For us, I tend to see the office of the deacon as being the three Bs. This is what I was taught um, by a man uh, who'd been a pastor a lot longer than me, since retired from the ministry, and he taught me this, think about it this way, the three Bs, building, budget, and benevolence. The the deacons take care of the local building. They take care of the local facilities. They make sure everything is, is working correctly. They take care of the budget, meaning that they are in charge of the monies that the elders have said, hey, these monies are for this. Go and do that thing. And then they are in charge of benevolence, meaning they are in charge of serving the community through good deeds. Um, and that's... Are they taking care of, and that's good questions for the deacons. Are they taking care of the facilities that you have, whatever they are? You know, all churches meet someplace. They don't have to have their own building for this to be a thing. All churches have money that they've been entrusted with at some level. Are they appropriating it and using it as they've been instructed to do? Are they using the resources of the church to serve the members of the church and to serve the community? Or are they just sitting on it like a nest egg? That's important. We don't give money to the church so that we can be wealthy as a church. We give it to use. And so again, you can have a $2 million gym with a half million dollar budget, but if the poor folks living just a few blocks away from you aren't being served, none of that even matters. And that's important. We have to consider that. And so for a church, a deacon isn't simply selected and taught to be a deacon. 
He, and this, the same goes for elders as well. They, they aren't just simply selected and taught to be a deacon. And for elders, the same is important. And it's important for us to realize that with both of these offices, that there are men who have gifts currently in the church that have gifts that would be associated with these offices. The people who are deacons. Well, you can usually look at someone and say, that man loves to serve people. He loves folks. He loves to see people do well. He is doing the work of a deacon. You don't want someone. You don't want to appoint someone who's as a deacon who doesn't interact with lots of people and who doesn't love being hospitable. They're not going to be happy in that office. Find people who are caring for other people in the name of the Lord. Train those men up to be deacons. Same with elder. If a man cannot teach the scriptures already, if he doesn't have a passion for prayer and leading and teaching people, he probably shouldn't be elder. And so these are the gifts that those, those offices have. Note, again, the big missing qualification, that the elder is a teacher, deacons are not. So when a church appoints a man to an office to teach, and that person doesn't want to do that, that is a problem for that man and for the church. We don't want to just willy-nilly make these appointments. And I think this is important for us, a growing church, who will soon be making these types of decisions, Lord willing. These offices are just outflowing from the gifts that we already have in the Spirit. Take, for instance, Stephen. When he became a Christian, the Spirit came upon him, and he was bestowed these gifts as a deacon. And the people recognized that. The apostles recognized that, and he was presented to the apostles as a deacon among the people. And what did it say in Acts 6? All the people were glad. They recognized this. They all saw it as a great thing. And so I think it's important for us to see these aren't some sort of uh, super Christians or super elite folks. Uh, These gifts just identify us with a particular role in the church. We need all kinds of folks in the church. We need people that are serving in these two offices. We need people who are doing all the work of the church. It's made up with all types of gifts and all types of work that's been going on in the church. And so if we're not all serving in the role that we have been called to and appointed to, the church will struggle. But if we are all doing what we've been called to do, the church will glorify God to the fullest, and that's what we're after. And so next point, deacons are servants. Verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. They gain a good standing for themselves. I thought that was interesting when I read that. Consider, just consider your own life and think about the people in your life. Who are the most venerated people in our lives other than Celebrities, particularly in society. We don't necessarily care for them, but society loves them. But think of the next most venerated people, folks who work jobs of service to the larger community. I mean, have you ever been been in an airport when military folks got off the the airplane? What do people do? They stop and they clap. And when we see police officers go through town, most of us have a respect for that. 
And we're like, they're doing the work that no, none of us want to do. They're serving us by keeping us safe. I don't have to worry about going to bed tonight because I know that I have friends in the police force that are taking care of the stupidity in town. Firemen, something catches on fire. I know that they are ready to serve. They are ready to risk their lives in order to serve. These are the most venerated people, doctors and nurses, people who take care of others in their worst states. These are people who serve. And so think about this. You know, those who gain or those who serve gain a good standing for themselves. How should a man of God or a person of God, any any person, deal with this? This this great weight of people look at you and think, Wow, that's a great guy or a great woman who's doing all this service. First, it isn't wrong to receive a standing among people as long as you're doing the right thing. I think it's important for us. It isn't wrong to be respected and to be seen as important or influential. Especially as a child of God, we should see this as a very good thing. Because a true child of God will point only to the one who sustains them. The one who gives them the strength to do what they do. And that is our Lord Jesus, who made them who we are. And so when people say, look how great you are, those people will look and say, no, look how great Jesus is. And so this man gains great standing in order to bring glory to God. And I would put this in a category that also the deacon, again, should be well thought of by those on the outside. They should be known as men who regularly serve others even to their own detriment, even giving up and sacrificing from themselves. And I love this last thought that he gives us in verse 13, that also a great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. So where does this come from? Where does this great confidence in the faith come from being a deacon, from serving others? And I think this is something that we should all hear and understand because not, not just the deacon can gather this, but all of us. The great confidence comes from the idea that as a deacon or even as anyone who is serving other people, seeing the mercy of God lived out in such a way that by serving others, by doing things for others, we are seeing the very mercy of God, the very gospel of Jesus Christ lived out. You know, we oftentimes wonder, well, I'd love to just see Jesus. I would love to just see him doing his work. And what did he tell us? If you've done for the least of these, you've done that for me. And so as we are serving and doing these works of mercy... A lot of times the ministry of a deacon is called a ministry of mercy because we are granting mercy to people who don't necessarily deserve it, meaning that we are giving gifts and giving services to people even when they haven't done anything to earn it, sometimes even the opposite. And I think it's, we see the gospel lived out in that. Have we not been served in the same way? By our Lord Jesus. And this way, this is something for all of us, not just deacons. Like elders, deacons cannot do their work without the help of others. Part of the work is to recruit others to do the work of ministry. We don't want a single deacon doing all the work. Those seven men who were appointed in Acts 6 weren't the only people that were doing the work of service there. 
They were re- recruiting others to do that, raising up others to do the work of service. This requires the entire church doing the work of the gospel, seeing the gospel go forward. You know, I, th- I think of a great example of this. If you've been on a mission trip, like a short-term mission trip, particularly to uh, like a, a, a poor place, a poor country, or like even a poor area of this country, uh, you get this feeling when you're there and when you're doing that work of service, like, I don't ever want to leave. I want to be here, and I want to serve these people. I love this. They need us they need the Lord. I want to be here and I want to give them that. Why do we feel that way? Because we are seeing the very work of God take place. When we're here and when we're in our own comfort areas, we don't want to do that. I'm comfortable with life. You know, I'll go home, I'll take a nap today, I'll be comfortable, I don't have to worry about that. But if I was like in uh, Cumberland Gap or someplace like that, I would see my life completely different. I would look at myself and be ashamed. But here I don't have to be because everyone looks like me. So I go to these places and I see the gospel lived out. We have to understand, brothers and sisters, that we have that opportunity right here in Callaway County. More than any one of us could ever even dream of taking on. A ton of it right here in Callaway County. There are hurting folks in need of the mercy of God. And he uses his people to be his hands and feet, as you've often heard quoted a popular phrase. He uses us regularly. So, brothers and sisters, our prayer should be that he would use us to do that so that we could see the gospel go forward. I think that points us ultimately to Christ, the ultimate deacon who served us. You know, we, leak, we look to Jesus, who is the ultimate example of service. We read how he loved the men under his care, how he served them. Remember how he washed his feet. We read how he served people and that he came to die for them. Even while they were sinners, even while they were his enemies, he came to die for them. He came to die for us. Remember the ultimate act of service and mercy, that we weren't given the punishment that we deserve. He was. Though perfect, He was the punishment, or he was punished for our sins. Though righteous, he took our sin upon himself and gave us the greatest treasure of all, his righteousness before the Father. We have a good standing before the Father because of him, because of what he did for us. We have a great confidence because of his continued work and his continued service in our lives. And this is for everybody. I think it's important. Anyone can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. This, this offer of mercy is for anyone who would call upon his name, for anyone who would believe. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He sits now at the right hand of the Father. If you believe that, if you call upon his name, you too can be saved. That's it. You don't have to jump through any hoops. You don't have to do anything special. He has done the work. And so call upon his name and be saved. There is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved other than the name Jesus Christ. Call upon his name and be saved. And so in conclusion, church, let us consider these words carefully again. An important office of the church. 
like the office of elder, again, very important. It not only serves the church, but makes sure that the elders are free to do their work. It's an important work that we must consider carefully. It's an important office. Let us now begin praying that the Lord would raise up deacons in our church to do the work of mercy and ministry in our community. And let us never forget the one who serves us even now in the greatest mercy, ministry of mercy to us, a very undeserving people. We continue to grow in grace, and so let us ask for more and more grace that we might serve him more. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we are thankful for your continued service on our behalf. We, You serve us, Lord, even when we are not asking for it. You, uh, you do not forget your service to us, your promises to us, even though we regularly forget our promises to you. And so, Lord, we are thankful that you are faithful even when we are faithless. And so, Lord, increase our faith. We pray that you would give us more and more of the mercy that we don't deserve. Give us more and more of the grace that you are so willing and able to give that we might grow in that, that we might offer that to a dying world. Lord, raise up men to serve in the office of deacon in this church, that they may serve us as your people, but that they may serve the world, that people would look at this church and say, Glory to God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.